to Ill-Equipped History, where two best friends talk about history. <laughs> I'm Morgan. <laughs> Here with my co-host, Emily. <laughs> Today. Hey, guys. <laughs> Who has already cracked herself up. <laughs> at what we talked about before we started recording, so. Oh, this is where we're at. <laughs> She's just gonna be silly and then made herself laugh at the prospect <laughs> of being silly and now she can't do it. <laughs> I don't know uh. if y'all know this, but I I am a sympathy laugher. Nick and I could be in an which we, we don't, we don't argue a lot, but we could be in a heated discussion. And if he says something that's funny and starts laughing, it doesn't matter if I'm so angry I'm seeing red, I will laugh with him. It is mm-hmm. involuntary. I am a sympathy laugher, so if if anyone's laughing around me, I don't even know what's going on, but a giggle comes out, regardless of the situation. <laughs> and I'm someone who it's just very easy to make me laugh. Um, I yeah. find very silly things very funny. And I think Emily's, I love your laugh, Emily. And it makes me laugh. Thanks. (laughs) So, as you guys have probably guessed by listening to us, this is like, what, our 20th episode? Woohoo! Yeah, something like that. Woo woo! Um, We we make each other laugh a lot, so. Yeah, it it feeds off of each other. Because if she starts laughing at me, I'm done for. (laughs) I can't help it. (laughs) I can't. I used to have to leave the room if my dad and I started laughing. Mom would make us go into separate bedrooms and then we would come back out and then laugh at each other again and like go back to our rooms like because we couldn't contain it. (laughs) Sympathy laughing is hereditary, turns out. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. I love that. Yeah. So dad and I just laugh at each other for no reason. Mm -hmm. It's great. It annoys (laughs) the shit out of mom sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy okay. oh so right we we ha- we're Here covering we something today <laughs> we are we are we do have a topic <laughs> we have a topic um so surprise this is mine and also not really a surprise mine's over something that's a little more dense i didn't realize Happens. it was going to be so dense so i to kind of like start it off, I got this idea when I went to Scotland to visit my sister. I saw this was referenced everywhere we went. Um, there was a plaque or like a, I don't know what, like a museum exhibit or like a big sign that mentioned Jacobites uh, in Scotland. And I was like, what is that? And so I was trying to I went to the National Museum of Scotland and they were mentioned a lot, but nothing was really in a linear. So I was like, maybe I'll cover that. So I got a couple, I got a book about the Jacobites and it's like, I'm going to research it because it's about a rebellion. And oh boy, <laughs> um, I feel like I just took like a medieval history 101 class <laughs> doing research. That's how you know it's a so, good topic. I'm going to try to make this as interesting as possible because like I said it's this very dense it takes the it it spans over 60 years in European history 
So there's a lot of shit that was going down constantly yeah. all the time. There's a lot of people involved. Um, and they're all related. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep things as succinct and descriptive as possible. And if Emily, since you're here, if there at any point that you're like, wait, what? Please let me know because I've read over my notes so many times I'm blind to them now and I have no idea what yeah. they say. So <laughs> I got it. I got you. Um, also, before we jump in, this topic is a bit divisive because it takes place during the Protestant Reformation in Europe, which was very tumultuous religiously, politically. I don't want any any of our listeners to think that... I agree with a particular side. If I convey that in my notes, that's not what I mean to. I try to be as neutral as possible. It's very, it's a very complex subject. So, you know, we might make a joke here too, but, you know, I am not Catholic or anti-Catholic. I'm not Protestant or anti-Protestant. But a lot of those themes come up in this topic. Um and I know religion is can be a very touchy subject for a lot of people, so I want, pres- I want to um, approach this topic with some levity, like as we go forth our skit. But I am also trying to be as neutral as possible as I convey the events that happened because there's a lot of shit that happens in this. So, right, and just like the Battle of Athens episode, we are just reporting history mm-hmm. as we find it. Yes. It is not a reflection on any of our ideals or anything. Or opinions or values or anything like that. We're just reporting it as it's. I'm seeing it in my research. Exactly. So Yay. that was kind of okay. a, a bit of a long introduction, but I just wanted to get that out there because, you know, <laughs> our topic co- kind of starts off silly and I don't want people to be mad. Also... I grew up Catholic and my family's Catholic, so um, I am not a Catholic, but no disrespect to Catholics or Protestants. So (laughs) anyway, let's get started. (laughs) Okay. England, 1688. The Protestant Reformation has swept through Europe and England is largely Protestant now. To the chagrin of many citizens in England, James II, who is Catholic, is on the throne. Man, I am so tired of old Catholic King James. I hate Catholics. I can't wait until his daughter Mary becomes queen. She's a Protestant like me. Hate to burst your bubble, my guy, but James just had a son. Even worse, he was baptized Catholic. Damn! We'll have another Catholic monarchy. I know who we can call. Hello? Hey, William? Can you come conquer England? Uh, sure. Thanks! William, quote-unquote, invades England and faces almost no resistance. Hey, I'm conquering you. Get out of here, James, even though you're my father-in-law. No fair! I'll be back. You'll see. So, yeah. (laughs) That almost basically happened. Why did I put my hands on my hips? <laughs> did you see that? No, I could only see like your head and shoulders, Damn. but you were 
You're feeling was, that defiance, that I sassiness. Was acting. It's called acting. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> we're talking about the Jacobite Rebellion. It's actually a series of rebellions that took place between 1689 and 1745, namely in Scotland, but it also involved Ireland and England, France, Spain, Austria, Germany. Like, it's it was a whole big thing. But mostly Scotland, uh, a lot of the Jacobites were Scottish, namely Highlanders in Scotland, so people from the mountains. And I'll go more into who the Jacobites were, why they were called Jacobites, and what they stood for. But in order to talk about the Jacobites, we gotta go back. We gotta go way back. Way back. So first we're going to talk about the House of Stuart. So the Stuarts were a royal Scottish house dating back to 1371, when they first took the throne. So they had actually been very heavily intertwined with the throne even before they became royals. And they actually got the name Stuart because historically they were stewards of the royal family. And so it just kind of morphed into Stuart. Okay. There we go. I love name history, by the way. I do too. Was it like entomology or something like that? I love it. I think so, yeah. So the direct male Stuart line ended in 1542 with the death of James V. His daughter Mary, Queen of Scots, ruled until her son James VI took over in 1567. The Stuarts joined the English royal line in 1603, and James VI of Scotland also became James I of England. So he was James VI and I because okay six of scotland first of england okay um also a fun fact we're bringing it back a little bit so um james of six and first his great grandmother was margaret tudor who was henry the eighth's sister oh yeah okay so we're going from the tudor line until into the stuart line and so basically the stuarts replaced the tudors as royal family in england uh, in 1625, James I's son, Charles I, became king. Um, and I'll go into this a little bit more later, but he was executed in 1649 during the English Civil War. So the Stuarts were no longer the royal family until um, like 10 years, 11 years later. The Stuarts returned to the throne in 16 city, 1660. Charles I's son, Charles II, became king. Um, And then when Charles II died, his brother, James II and Seventh, took over in 1685. I get, like, if you guys listened to my Six Wives of Henry VIII, um, everyone had, there was, like, four different names. Same thing in this. Like, there are so many Charles. There's so many James. There's several Marys. (laughs) Like. Wonderful. It's, I'll try, I'll do my best to be specific, you know. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of just a background of the House of Stuart. Because um, the, the Stuart line takes a very, it's why the Jacobite rebellions happened. Okay. So now we're going into the political and religious turmoil in Europe. So in the time leading up to this, Europe itself was in crisis. Mm-hmm. The Protestant Reformation was sweeping through all of Europe and it led to a lot of conflicts. Um, and it wasn't just England. It was, I was going through 
my sources and it listed all the different countries with major conflicts like Iceland and Germany and France and Spain and it was just all over Europe. Um, there'd already been some small occurrences of religious reformation throughout Europe for several hundred years prior to the Protestant Reformation, but they were all very small and just didn't gain a lot of traction. Then when Martin Luther released his 95 Theses in 1517, that kick-started the big pushback against the Catholic Church. Catholicism traditionally was a belief in divinely ordained authority, like the king is divinely ordained, the pope is divinely ordained, like it comes through God. Whereas mm -hmm. the Protestantism was more everyone has agency. We all have a chance and we're all responsible for our own fate, more kind of line of thinking. And as the Protestant Reformation gained more traction throughout Europe, anti-Catholic hate spread across England and this extended to a social cleansing that occurred in Ireland and Scotland. Um, so Catholics were persecuted and a lot of them oh. were killed. Yeah, it's oh, it was I really bad. Yeah, again, a lot of turmoil, a lot of fights christ like battles um yeah it was really bad so additionally <laughs> there's so much war there's like 85 wars i'm going to talk about um additionally there is the english civil war and that lasted from 1642 to 1651 at the same time there was another war going on called the war of the three kingdoms from 1639 to 1651 and that was between England, Ireland, and Scotland. So England, Ireland, and Scotland were all fighting. And England had a civil war. It was just okay. a lot going on. Yeah. And one of the things that kind of kick-started this, something that was going on at the same time, was the union of the crowns. So England was trying to unite Scotland and Ireland under its banner. Mm -hmm. And Ireland and Scotland did not want to join England in one union. Um, and one thing that happened is Ulster in Ireland was yoinked, basically, from the Irish Catholics that had been living there. And Protestant English and Scottish farmers took over. And the citizens that had previously lived there were now forced to work on their own lands as servants. No! It's just a lot of shit is going on. Um, so there was rebellions going on in Ireland, um, and Oliver Cromwell came in. If you guys know that name, it was a scary dude, but he was really a key figure. I don't go a lot into him because he doesn't have a lot to do with the Jacobite rebellion, but he was like a general in the army and he was responsible for a lot of stuff going on, but he responded with severe violence in Ireland to the rebellions. Oh, boy. <sighs> a lot of stuff going on. So now Charles I, um, let me get out my chart here. Okay, so he was the son of James VI and I, who became king, the first king of Scotland in England. So mm -hmm. Charles I is his son. He was not a great ruler. Uh, he had a lot of ideas that were not super popular, like the king's divine right to rule. Again, which is more of a Catholic ideology, mm -hmm. which did not go well with the Protestant ideology. He refused to abide by the demands of the victors of the Civil War. And the victors wanted a constitutional monarchy. So he was executed for treason, um, basically for being tyrannical. Okay. So when he was executed, the Commonwealth of England was established. And this was a republic with a representative parliament. 
and it lasted from 1649 to 1660. Um, so 11 years. It didn't last a very long time. Right. Um, it wasn't super great. Uh, it eventually became very restrictive, very stifling. So the Stuarts were invited to come back into the ruling power in England. England was like, Whew, oh boy, okay. Whew, that didn't yeah. go so well. So come, come back, King. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So because Charles I was dead, his son, Charles II, became king. And this is called the Restoration. So Charles II decreed the Royal Declaration of Indulgence. And that basically said that anyone could choose their religion and not be persecuted for it. Good for him. Which sounds really great. Yeah. yeah. Everyone hated it. Uh, it, was not, it was not a popular idea at the time. Mostly because the Protestants wanted the Catholics to stay out of England. They're like, no, like, we don't want Catholics here. Uh, my way or the highway kind of mentality. Basically. Yeah. Charles II was king, and then he died. So his brother, James II, became king. And so this is James II and Seventh. Okay. The problem was he was a Catholic. Oh, no. Uh-oh. And that did not go well with Protestant England. Of course it didn't. So people were like, they're not happy about it. But his daughter, Mary, was Protestant. So they were like, okay, like, we'll just wait until he dies and then Mary can take over. And she's Protestant, so she'll be queen and every, everyone will be happy. Right. Which is kind of what we touched about in the very beginning of our skip. But James II had a son and he was baptized Catholic. And so everyone's like, oh, no, the return of the Catholic monarchy to England. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is not good. And people were trying to make it illegal for Catholics to take the throne. Like, it's just a whole big thing. And so, actually, the argument resulting from all of this going on created the first political parties in England, the Whigs and the Tories, which I think they're still the prevailing political parties in England to this day. Oh. And my sources go more into, like, which sides the Whigs and Tories were on. Right. I didn't really go into that. Um Sorry, I lost my place. Okay, so now we're getting into what's called the Glorious Revolution. James the Second and Seventh, who was the Catholic king, uh, mm-hmm. no one liked him. And honestly, he wasn't super great, but nothing could really be done about him because it's not like they can impeach him. So right. James the Second wanted Catholics to be equal members of society and okay. publicly supported them, which, again, was in opposition to the majority of the populace. And this was paired with the fact that he was bullheaded and he would not see compromise and he didn't understand the nuances of public opinion. Like people, he was like, I don't care what the public thinks. Like I'm the king and I can do what I want. And that pissed a lot of people off. Um, And he was vehemently against Protestantism. And that actually he would like upset his Catholic citizens um, like, his Catholic supporters are like, you need to chill about your hate of Protestantism. Oh. It was Man, really that's... vehement. He must have really hated them if the Catholics were like, whoa, hold on a minute. Yeah. It, yeah, it was crazy. And again, James Edward, um, who is James II's son, was born, and that prevented Mary, his Protestant daughter, from becoming queen because mm-hmm. he took precedence right. over her in the line right. of succession. Um, and he was baptized Catholic. So the people of England were desperate to remove a Catholic from the throne. And so they basically organized a coup d'etat. So they rung up William of Orange. 
So his uh, real name is William Henrique, but his, so William of Orange, his father was also, he was William II of Orange, mm-hmm. which is in the Netherlands. Um, and his mother was the daughter of Charles I. So he's Charles the I's grandson. So if you go, so I okay. have like a little family tree type thing. Let me scroll down to see it. So Charles I, he had three children that I saw reported. Charles II, James I, and Mary. So William is Mary's son. Okay. And okay. So William is the nephew of James II and Charles II. Got it. And William was married to his cousin Mary, who is um, James II's daughter. daughter. So yeah. James II had Mary, Anne, and James Edward. Yes. And then James II's sister Mary had William. Yes. And William. And William and, and the Mary Jr., sort of. Yeah. Are married. Ew. Okay. Because <laughs> they're cousins. They're first yeah. cousins. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, sorry. That's very confusing because, again, there's like three names um, and they're related. So, very confusing. So, he was the current king's son-in-law <laughs> and okay. nephew. Son and nephew. So, he, again, yes. So, he was from the Netherlands and he was already fourth in line to the throne based on everything that right. we just talked about. Okay. Most importantly, he was Protestant. Okay. So, um, a group called the Immortal Seven, which was a group of six lords and a bishop, invited William to invade England. Just They're just like, hey, man, can you come invade? Can yeah. You, could you do us a solid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, sure. I wanted to do it anyway. So uh, twist he my brings, arm. Twist it. <laughs> yeah. Right. He brings the largest fleet ever to invade England. Oh, my God. And... No one fought against him. Uh, I the, wouldn't. He literally just walked through England. Like, there was no resistance. Everyone's like, yeah, come on in. He usurped James. Yeah. How <laughs> became king. shitty of a king do you have to be for your people to be like, nah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna fight for you. Nah, we, we like this guy better. James's own army did not <clears throat> take up arms against William of Orange. Oh, they were probably relieved. Like, oh, thank God. James II was not liked at all. (laughs) So James II fled to France. um, And I think he, like, he was sort of related to King Louis XIV of France. I think they were, like, cousins or something. I don't know. It's so hard to keep track of everything. Because James fled, he, like, everyone was like, oh, he abdicated. So now William is king. And this was in 1688. Okay. Um, so the Whigs, the you know how I said the Whigs and the Tories came right. from all the fighting about thing. So the Whigs allied themselves with the king, William, um, and the Campbell clan in Scotland. And the Campbell okay. clan in Scotland was a very, very powerful political clan. And those who supported the coup are called Williamites as opposed to the Jacobites. Okay. The Tories and the Episcopalians supported the Scottish return to rule through the Stuart line. And one of the documentaries I saw said that like all the, there's a lot of sectarianism going on because of the Protestant revolution mm-hmm. reformation and like the different like Catholic and Protestant was being further like distilled into mm-hmm. different ideologies. So this is how Episcopalianism and Presbyterianism came into being as well. Okay. 
So it was just a note, but that's how we got the Presbyterian and Episcopalian. So Episcopalian is closer aligned to Catholic and then Presbyterian Presbyterianism is closer to Protestantism. Whew. Okay. So things had settled in England with William on the throne. Right. But the Highlands in Scotland, they are getting ready for war. So now we're going into the first Jacobite rebellion. Okay. Uh, Jacobites were counter-revolutionaries. So when James II was deposed, that was considered a revolution. Okay. It's actually called the Glorious Revolution in history. (laughs) Everyone hated this guy. So the Jacobites were counter-revolutionaries. They wanted things to go back the way they were. They wanted to restore the previous religious structure of the land under James II, or Jacobus in Latin. Therefore, Jacobites. Okay. So four months after James was deposed, the Jacobites, which were mainly composed of Highlanders in Scotland. Um, There's some in Ireland as well. They started gathering an army. So the main guy in this part, gathering the Jacobite army, his name is John Graham. He is the first Viscount Dundee. And in some sources, he's just called Dundee. Mm -hmm. In other sources, he was called something else, like Cleaverham or something, because he was a lord of Cleaverham or something. Mm. But... It gets confusing because, like, you have a name, but then, like, you're called by your title. I don't know. It's confusing. So I'm just going to call him John Graham. Okay. He went around Scotland and gathered forces for the rebellion. And included in the first Jacobite rebellion included the McDonald's of Glencoe, Keppoch, Glengarry, and Sleet, the McLeans, the Camerons, the Clan Renlad McDonald's, and some Irish troops. Um, And those were all very prominent clans in the Highlands in Scotland. So, boom, rebellion starts. They start fighting. The Jacobites captured Perth in Scotland in May of 1689. And that was the official start of the Jacobite rebellion. And other battles occurred between the government and the rebellion. So I'll say the government several times. And this is like the royal government. This is on the side of the king or the, Mm -hmm. the monarchy. And I'll distinguish it by using rebels because they are. So now we go to the Battle of Killycranky, which is very fun to say. Killycranky? So this is a big conflict between John Graham Mm -hmm. and a general named McKay. And I see where I meant to follow up on who McKay was and I forgot. So I apologize. But he was a general for the government. Okay. So Killycranky, I think it was like a moor or like a pass. It was a pass. On the bottom, you have McKay's troops. Right. And on top of this hill, you have Graham's troops, the Highlanders. Got it. And the Highlanders waited until the sun set. And then they did a big Highland charge down the hill. And the Highland charges, they're all yelling. They're brandishing their broadswords and their rifles and whatever else they have. Big, big conflict. So the Jacobites had between... so. Graham had more people mm-hmm. than McKay. McKay's troops were a lot more experienced. A lot of them were veterans of um, a previous war that had happened. Mm-hmm. But the Jacobites had between seven and 800 casualties, while McKay had about 1,800. Wow. So McKay's men had almost double the amount of casualties in this battle. Uh, Graham was killed in this battle. Uh, he was shot. And... 
it was a major blow to the Jacobite cause because he was really the only one on their side with a lot of military experience. Like oh, a lot no. of these clansmen in the Highlands, they, you know, they were within the Highlands and maybe they had wars with each other, but they, a lot of them were farmers yeah. or politicians, not a lot of war experience. So he was killed and they, at when they were trying, sorry, no, you're good. I skipped a big piece. After the Battle of Killiecrankie, they try to capture the city of Dunkeld, um, but it failed. Like, and I was trying to find details about how it failed, but there wasn't a lot I could find. But this basically made the Jacobite cause collapse. Like, even though they technically won the Battle of Killiecrankie, they lost Graham, and then they failed to capture the city. So, and then in 1690, another Jacobite encampment was attacked by the government's forces. 300 men were killed. And again, that was even more devastating to the Jacobite oh, cause. No. So it's basically just dis- like disintegrated. So at the, the same time, so in Scotland, we have the Battle of Killiecrankie. Now we're shifting over to Ireland. In 1689, James II, he'd been hiding out in France. He comes back to Ireland like four months later, something. It was very soon after he fled. Uh, he came, comes with 500 French troops to Ireland and was ready to lead the Jacobite army in Ireland. And he had 35,000 Irish soldiers at his side. So they went through and fought Protestant forces and government forces for several months throughout Ireland. And they were pretty successful. James II ruled Ireland and the Irish Catholics prospered for a brief time, but they couldn't capture all the Protestant settlers that had come in and taken all the Catholics land previously. So William, William of Orange, who's the current king, he was sick of this shit. He was like, I'm tired of these Jacobites. I am personally going to make sure that this rebellion is quashed. Right. Because he, England was like constantly fighting France. They're always at war. Like I can't, you know, between me researching the six wives of Henry VIII and now this and like some other things, like I can't find a time when England and France were not at war with each other. Right. And this is no different. William was like, I, these annoying rebels and freaking James fighting over here. I need to focus on freaking France James. and direct my military to France. Right. So he personally, the king personally goes out to quash these rebels. James and William's forces met at the Boyne River in June 1690. That's also very fun to say. Boyne. Boyne. Boyne River. So this is the Battle of the Boyne. James himself commanded 23,000 men, most of which were inexperienced, and he himself was not a great military commander. Oh, no. William commanded 37,000 men, and he was a former soldier himself, an excellent strategist okay, and so accomplished. Let me, so James II was, did not have as many troops and was not as experienced, and William yes. had, what, twice as many and was experienced? Uh, not quite, but yeah. Almost yeah. twice as many and was experienced. Well experienced. And had eight times the artillery. Jesus Christ. second had. <laughs> you could probably imagine. James brought a knife to a gunfight. Basically. Okay. Yeah. 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 This didn't go so well for James. No. So James retreated. And this was technically a victory for William because the Jacobites retreated. Right. But the rebellion had not been quashed. Okay. They retreated. And he wanted it smashed like an ant under his boot. So there was continued fighting in the Irish city of Limerick, which I did not know was an actual town. I'm sorry, Ireland. Huh. I didn't either. And 
so there's eventually a treaty that was passed in Limerick. I think it's called like the Treaty of Limerick. It was basically like, okay, we're disbanding the Jacobites in Ireland. And James once again fled to France, never to return. And he died shortly after in 1701. So he died like 11 years later. So what, was he trying to take his throne back poorly? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that was what, so that was what the Jacobites wanted. They wanted to restore James to the throne. Right. Um, They wanted to restore the Stuart line to the throne because the Stuarts were historically Scottish. Historically, they had been Catholic and then they became Protestant with the Protestant Reformation. And then James II was Catholic and a lot of the Highlanders were Catholic. Okay. And they were tired of the the persecution they had been experiencing and then like the unrest with basically an outsider coming in. Like he was related to the Stuarts and the Stuarts still technically were on the throne, but he was from the Netherlands. He wasn't Scottish and he was on the, the throne. So that was kind of what was going on there. And also like James II and the Highlander Jacobites... They didn't like each other very much. Um, James represented the old ways, and he used the Highlanders to fight for his cause. The Highlanders, like, they wanted James back on the throne, but they didn't want... It wasn't necessarily him as a person. They wanted their history back on the throne. They wanted a Stuart to be reinstated on the throne. They wanted... They're more, um, like, nationalists. They wanted things to go back to the way that they were. It was probably not the best... You know, like, I'll go into it, like, I go into it at the very end, but they were just kind of on the wrong side of history a little bit. Yeah. England needed to change, and they were very resistant to that change. Is is everything, like, are you able to kind of, like, keep track of everything? I am. It is definitely helping me, and it might help our listeners, that I am looking at these people's faces. Morgan has them, like named for me so I can I'm a visual learner so I'm looking at these people's faces and I'm really looking at the little um family tree she made for me so I don't know if maybe you could google a family tree and follow because I've been following along visually as she tells me so that might help (laughs) a little bit a lot it helped me a lot I'm visual so yes I am following I am too I am too okay because, again, like, this is very dense and it's very edited. <laughs> yes. There's a lot more information, of course, and I just really was trying to keep it streamlined. As cliff notes as possible. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. I'm really trying here. So the second Jacobite rebellion. So a deal was made for the chieftains in Scotland to confirm their allegiance to William with a promise of 12,000 pounds and a full pardon to help end the uprising. So if you're a former Jacobite, you could agree to pledge your allegiance um, to the flag (laughs) of the United. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, the thing was, is that you had to agree to swear fealty to William by New Year's Day, 1692. By this date, the members of the MacDonald clan in Scotland had yet to swear their allegiance to William. Were they the only ones that hadn't? For the most part, yeah. Like the clan themselves. So the Secretary of State for Scotland, Sir John Dalrymile, I think I said that right. Sure. He issued an order for attack. On February 2nd, 1692, Arthur MacDonald, who is the chief of the MacDonald clan, Mm -hmm. 33 other men, two women, and two children were slain. And this is known as the Glen... This is known as the Glencoe Massacre. You know, a lot of this pissed off a lot of Scottish 
people it and they're like, hey, to, William, yeah. what the hell? And he was like, OK, I'll look into it. But it never really went anywhere. Like, I think the guy that, like, made the order, he didn't really get into trouble. Like, he there, he was named, but, like, he never faced all the consequences that I could find. It was just kind of pushed under the rug a little bit. So in 1701, the Act of Settlement was passed. And this decreed that only English Protestants could hold the crown. So it was very limiting to who could rule England. Yeah. So William's sister-in-law, Anne, again, like, she's... One of James II's, she's James II's other daughter. She became queen in 1702. Unfortunately, she had like 17 miscarriages. Oh, bless her heart. And she never produced any living heirs um, during her reign. But the United Kingdom was born while she ruled. Okay. So it was the official unification of Ireland, Scotland, and England while she ruled. Okay. Anne, uh, Queen Anne, died in 1714. And because of the act of settlement, the throne was not passed to the next male heir. It kind of skipped around a bit and it ended up being transferred to Princess Sophia of Hanover. And she was James the sixth and first granddaughter. And he was the king that became king of Scotland and England. So James the first and sixth granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And Sophia. And as a recap, James the first and sixth was Charles the first's father. Yes. And Charles the second's grandfather. So yes. Sophia and Charles the second were cousins. If I'm looking I think at this so. right, I didn't see like how I didn't see how it. Yeah. Right. Like who her parents were. Um. But it, like, but in some way, Sophia is James the first and second first and sixth granddaughter yes got it unfortunately she had died two months before Anne had died so oh no the crown ended up going to her, to her son george the first okay of hanover um and so this starts the hen i don't i don't know how to say this hanoverian rule of england and so it was like george the first george the second george the third right and actually, the Hanovers ruled England until the Windsors took over. And the Windsors, the current royal family. Ah, wow. So, okay. So he became king in 1714, and he was German. So now Germans are on, the, a German king is on the throne. And at this time, England became more of a prime minister-ruled state. So, and it became a constitutional monarchy. Okay. So you had, like, the figurehead, but you also had a constitution. You had a parliament. You had a prime minister that kind of runs the day-to-day things. The monarchy is more of, like, a figurehead at right. this point. Um, which, ironically, is what, like, they wanted during the English Civil War, but, you know. They must not have done so. it right the first time. Well, they wanted one, and that's why they executed Charles right. first, because he said no. And then they had the the Commonwealth, and then that didn't work, right. so they went back to the monarchy. Right. Now we have a constitutional monarchy. Right. So because now there is a German on the throne, Jacobite support went back up again. Like, a lot of the traditional nationalist Scots were like, no, we need a Scot back on the throne. The Jacobites came back up. So James Edward Stewart, who's the son of James II, who, you know, we talked about him coming in to invade. He was hung out in Ireland for a while. William kicked his ass at the Battle of the Boyne, kicked him out again. Right. So this is his son coming back in. Okay. 
He wanted to win, try to win the throne back for his family. Um, he even appealed to the Pope and was like, please, please. And the Pope was like, sorry, man, can't do anything for you. So a man named John Erskine, or the Earl of Mar, took it upon himself to raise a Jacobite standard in honor of King James III and Eighth, which is James Edward Stuart. So, and the royal parliament responded by taking land from Jacobite supporters and giving it to royal supporters. Oh, God. It is a mess. So, so much um, pettiness. It is. It's like, yoink. So much, like, yoinking of land and giving it to other people. We're going like, to take this and we're going to put it over here. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So, the Jacobites took to arms and they captured Inverness, Aberdeen, and Dundee. So they really hit it yeah. off. Um, they started immediately. By October 1715, the Earl of Mars forces numbered 20,000. Like, big, big army. Yeah. Um, the Jacobites had captured all of northern Scotland above the Firth of Forth. Damn. Uh, which was, it's just a fjord in northern Scotland, except for Stirling Castle, which, fun fact, I got to go uh-huh. to when I went to Scotland. I'm so jealous. So the plan was to capture Stirling Castle and then head to England and meet up with the Jacobites there. Because a lot of the Jacobite forces were in Scotland and Ireland, but there were also Jacobites in England right. as well. The opposition, mm-hmm. we bring in contestant number two, John Campbell, also known as the Duke of Argyll. Uh, he was Scottish, um, but he was with the government. Okay. Um, he went to go intercept the Earl of Mars men at the Battle of Sheriff Muir. So Mars men had between seven and eight thousand men, and the Duke's troops numbered between thirty-five and four thousand men. So the Earl of the Jacobites outnumbered the government, right? But the Duke's men were like it's kind of a repeat of what happened at the Battle of Killiecrankie. The Duke's men were a lot more experienced in combat. A lot of them were veterans of the War of Spanish Succession, because mm-hmm. um, there's always a war going always. on. So at one point, it seemed as though Mar was about to achieve victory, but for some reason they retreated, even though the Duke's men had experienced a lot more losses. And, like, no one really knows why. Um, one theory is that Earl of Mar thinks they made, like, the Earl of Mar thought they won, and then they left. But the battle was still going on. Oh. <laughs> so it was kind of like a victory for the government. Like, oh, they retreated, so we won, even though we lost more men. Huh. I don't know, it was very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also an unsuccessful battle in England that happened at the same time. Again, the Jacobites, they kind of dissolved. Um, they never recovered from this, and the Second Rebellion ended there. So it's just like they, they fight, and then they, and then they fight, and then, yeah. they, and then they fight. <laughs> in December 1715, James Edward, who's James II's son, he landed in Scotland Right after all of this uh-huh. happened, and much to the chagrin, the Jacobite forces were dwindled to about 5,000. So it went from 20,000 to 5,000. At the end of January 1716, James left Scotland. So he was only there for like two months. Oh, my God. He was there and he left. And he's known as the Old Pretender. And I'll, I'll know why in a minute why he's called the Old Pretender. So many Jacobite prisoners that had been captured were sentenced to death for treason. But through the Indemnity Act of 1717 that pardoned all surviving rebels except for the clan Gregor. I couldn't find why this specific clan was exempt from the Indemnity Act, but all surviving rebels were pardoned. Okay. Okay. So this one's real short and sweet. 
Third Jacobite Rebellion. <laughs> a little short and sweet. So James Edward, he tried again in 1719 with assistance from the Spanish. Okay. So Spain was at war against Great Britain, France, the Netherlands, and Austria. And they wanted to invade England to kind of be a distraction. Right. And they want, they were like, we're going to land in Scotland, distract them, and then like invade England. So there's a horrible storm. Out of the 7,000 Spanish troops set to land in England, only 300 made it. Oh, no. So there was a battle, the Battle of Glenshire, and that was an alliance between the, between Spain and the Jacobites, but they were beaten very easily. Yeah. There um, were only 300 of really them. It was a big battle. Yeah. So that was the, that was the third rebellion. <laughs> that was it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, not very successful. So around this time, uh, James Edward... Um, he married a woman named Maria Clementia Sobiska. She was a Polish princess. Well, one, that's an awesome name. That's an awesome oh, I know. name. It's so beautiful. Yeah. She gave birth to Charles Edward Stuart, who's going to be big in this final component. So the fourth and final Jacobite rebellion. So there is continued instability in the UK. There is raises in taxes. There was riots. There was a mutiny at one point. Now we get into what's called the War of Jenkins' Ear. It's a legitimate war. Like, full-on Jenkins' war. Ear? Please tell me we're talking about someone's actual ear. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, tell me. Okay, so... <laughs> so, starting in 1713, Great Britain basically had a monopo- monopoly on shipments of goods to and from Spain yeah. and its colonies. Yeah. Um, specifically, the South Sea Company had a monopoly. Mm-hmm. This was very limiting not only to the other existing shipment companies in Great Britain, but also to the colonies. Because they're like, we want yeah. more goods than just what this one company can bring us. So this started a very expansive black market yeah. um, and smuggling and all that. So because all this was happening, Great Britain allowed Spain to police the waters a bit. And they were allowed to board any British ship and utilize whatever methods they deemed necessary to quell the smuggling. This resulted in a lot of violence, a lot of robbery. Yeah. Um, It was not going well. So a Scottish captain named Robert Jenkins was on his way from Jamaica to London with a cargo full of sugar. By all accounts, this was a legitimate ship um it wasn't a smuggling ship but it was boarded by the spanish like police so to say and they were trying to find whatever contraband he had on board and he was like i don't have any contraband um because he worked yeah he worked for the east india trading company which is another huge yeah uh, shipment company so they took him prisoner and cut off his ear that's rude there was already a lot of resent, like anti-Spanish resentment going on at the time. Right. But he basically he went back to England and it was like, they cut off my ear. And they're like, they cut off his ear. <laughs> and Not his it, ear. <laughs> it led to like more and more tensions between Great yeah. Britain and Spain. More things happened. And then at the same time, there was a border conflict between the British Georgia and the Spanish Florida in the Americas. So there's okay. a border conflict going on there. Oh, so of course. It's just so many tensions. And eventually in 1739, war broke out between Britain and Spain. And this is called the War of Jenkins' Ear. And at the same dang time, there was another gosh dang war happening because all of Europe just fought all the gosh dang time. So <laughs> wait, Europe was just like, 
the Oprah of wars at the time. And you get a war. And you get a war. And you get a war. Basically. And you get a war. At the same time that the War of Jenkins' Ear is going on, there is the War of Austrian Succession that basically involved almost all of Europe. Wonderful. So not only were Great Britain and Spain fighting at the War of Jenkins' Ear, they were also battling each other in the War of Austrian Succession, along with France and Austria and Italy and the Netherlands and a bunch of other countries. Listen, they are spreading themselves thinner than I do on a daily basis. And that's thin. (laughs) Yes. Paper thin. It's paper thin. thin. I mean, it's so thin. thin. This was a series of war. Like they're all related in a way. I'm not going to get into it because I try to look through and it's just so much, but basically the, War of Austrian Succession consisted of the War of Jenkins' Ear, the Battle of Prague, King George's War, which that took place in the in the Americas. Um, it was like France and Britain and um, England or France, England, Spain were all fighting over like the Americas Land. and its resources. Um, the Battle of Fontenoy, and then finally ended with the Treaty of Aix la Chapelle. That's a name. And I think I saw, like, because of this Charles Edward Stewart, who, remember, <laughs> bringing it back to him, he's the son of James Edward. Oh, Jesus. He was, like, kicked out of France because of the treaty. It was a big thing. Charles Edward Stewart, he's also known as Bonnie Prince Charlie or the Young Pretender. So his father is the old pretender. He's a young pretender. He wanted to follow in his grandfather's footsteps and claim or his great grandfather's footsteps and have the divine right of kings to rule all of Great Britain. Like this is something that was passed down to me by God. I deserve to be king of England. Yes. It's my God given right to inherit this crown. His great grandfather is Charles the first. Yes. Yes. Okay. And he had, he had the idea of the, the right of the divine right to rule. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So at the same time that, Bring it back a little bit. I think I mentioned this earlier. So the unification um, mm-hmm. of Great Britain. So like Scotland, Ireland, England, they're all unified. Yes. Scotland yes. was not happy and Ireland was not happy. They wanted to remain sovereign and they no longer were. They lost a lot of their power when everything was unified. Right. And there's also, so Jacobite support came up again. And at the same time, there's a shift at in who made up the Jacobites. So... With James II, it was more like Catholic, like Catholic Highlanders who wanted a Stuart back on the throne, whereas now it kind of shifted like Catholics and a lot of Protestants that wanted a, a Scot back on the throne, basically. Like they were okay. more nationalists. Yeah. They're they like, wanted we don't to care dissolve. if you're Catholic or Protestant. We just want a Scot back on the throne. Right. And we don't want the union to be around. We want to dissolve the union. We want Scotland to be sovereign again. We want our own king back. Got it. So Louis the Fifteenth, who was a king of France at this time, he wanted to invade Britain because why you not? Know. <laughs> well, you know, with all these dang sure. wars going on, sounds like a fun pastime. Yeah, and he was like, "Why not try to restore the Stuart line back to the throne? That could only benefit me." So because they had like all these treaties and stuff. I didn't write them down because there were so many, but like Stuart's and whatever. So in 1744, he told James Edward that France was going to invade at Dunkirk. And James was like, cool. 
So Charles was like, ooh, I want to go. So he like secretly like snuck in with the French troops going. So Louis XV had gathered about 12,000 troops to invade England, but a lot were lost at sea again due to storms. That's Mother Nature telling you something. You got to stop. So he canceled the invasion, but he also declared war on Britain officially. I don't know. I don't think. Is that how that works? (laughs) Sure. I don't know. I'm just going (laughs) along with it. It was was a long time ago. They d- it was a different time. It, it was a lot of a lot of battles, a lot of war. Um, but this did not deter Charles. He was like, "I'm damn it, I'm going to try to get to Scotland." So he was available, eventually able to gather enough weapons, and he got two ships from the French in night in oh I wrote 1945. That is not right. 1745. <laughs> <laughs> um, as they were on their way. Um, They were immediately confronted by British troops, and one of the ships was lost. (laughs) Of course it was. So Charles just made it to Scotland, like just skin of his teeth. Current Jacobite supporters supporters that fought since the first rebellion were even like, hey, Charles, like, I don't know, like, maybe you should just go back to France. Like, we've tried this three times already, and it hasn't worked. And he's like, no. I'm going to, we're going to try again. So he eventually garnered enough support for a fourth and final rebellion. So August 7, in August of 1745, the Jacobites yet again started capturing cities, starting with Perth. I think each time they captured Perth first. September 17th, so about a month later, Charles and his Jacobite forces entered Edinburgh unopposed. So they just walks into Edinburgh. They don't capture the castle, because it's owned by the government, but they just walk into Edinburgh and basically, like, take charge. They take over it. I couldn't figure out what was going on there. Why? I don't know. But he was, James was declared king, and Charles was named as his regent at this time. I don't know how they did that without having the actual castle, but I don't know. Edinburgh is a big city, so... (laughs) So shortly afterwards, the Jacobites found victory at the Battle of Preston Pans. And then after this, Charles declared two acts. First, the dissolving of the Union and the nullification of the Act of Settlement, which decreed that only English Protestants could have the throne. So he was like, no longer these two. I declare them dead. <laughs> but they're not actually... Because he, he could do that. But they're not actually the... He's not the king, right? No. He just says he was. No, not at all. Yeah, he says he is. He declared himself. So he threw the biggest hissy fit and was like, no, I'm the king. It's me. And I declare. Yeah, basically. And I hate them. Like, honestly, the the actual king, um, George, was like, like, I mean, he wanted a quell the rebellion but like he wasn't as invested as like William was personally took charge to like fight so but you know they did start facing resistance by the government so also at this time because you know all these things were going on the Jacobites started receiving a little bit of French support Um, they got a little bit of money some weapons and the acquisition of an envoy named Marquis Leguy I don't know if I said that right I don't know but I like it it's D apostrophe E G U I L L E S. I know French is. De quoi? 
different. So I assume it means degui, degua. I don't know. Marquis degui. <laughs> I think that sounds nice. And I looked him up and literally, like, this is the only part of his Wikipedia. It's like he was the unofficial envoy to Charles I and those Jacobite. That's rebellion. all he says? That's all okay. he did. Yeah. So he's basically like a representative, like a liaison okay. between the Jacobites and France. But things still weren't super great. So a lot of the Scottish people, they wanted defenses put in place because they're like, the the English are going to attack us. We need defenses right. in place. And Charles is like, invade England. <laughs> Depose the Hanovers and regain the French French support and dissolve the Union. That's all we're going to do. No strategy, nothing. Just... Not, not really. Just, like, invade. The Irish Jacobites were very supportive of this because they also wanted to be sovereign again. So they're like, cool, man. And then the Scots were like, oh, okay, whatever you say. So on began the invasion of England. Uh, Charles' forces, led by Lord George Murray, captured the fortress in Carlisle. Which is in England. It's like the very across okay. the border. Um, it was all maintained by old people, though. Like the article I saw literally said elderly veterans. Oh, no. So it was very easy for them to take over. And so the Jacobites captured the Carlisle Fortress. And the Scots were like, great, you proved your point. Come back to Scotland. And Charles is like, no, we have so much support. Um, from English Jacobites like they're going to join us we just have to get to the city called Derby and everyone's like okay fine so the Jacobites continued their march into Derby no English Jacobites emerged and Charles later admitted that he lied and that did not go well (laughs) with his supporters (laughs) I am I am just if you could see me guys right now (laughs) I'm so just her head in her hands. I don't know if I'm stressed or irritated listening to this or both. I mean, dear God, it's a mess. So Charles did have a council who they were the ones that were like, hey, like, maybe you should come back. And he's like, no. And they're like, but really come back. So at this time, government forces were starting to move. And there's two troop like forces that they were worried about. There was General George Wade and his troops, and then the Duke of Cumberland, a.k.a. King George's youngest son, a.k.a. Butcher Cumberland. Butcher Cumberland? Now that's a reputation. Yep. If someone's coming after me and his nickname is Butcher, I'm going to a different country, a different continent. Uh, Bye. Absolutely not. Uh, Charles Council was like, I'm scared. GTFO. And he was like, nah. So they did, the Jacobites did eventually retreat because they were like, we don't want to be caught by the government. And this actually was strategic, but Charles was not happy. Like he wanted to keep pushing, but the council ended up winning over and they... But the butcher was coming. I know, I know. And there's also where that French forces and supplies landed in Argus, which is another town, but less than 200 men landed. Mother nature is not on their side. Yeah. Um, so Cumberland, Butcher Cumberland, he took back Carlisle Fortress and he executed uh, Jacobite officers that were there. He was like, nope, bye, bye, bye. So, chop, chop, basically, <laughs> butcher, butchering them. So as the Jacobites returned to Scotland, English and French troops did join in and the total number of troops got to a little over 8,000. 
Um, so not their highest number, but, you know, a good amount. They try to besiege Sterling Castle, which I mentioned earlier, was did not work because it's considered the strongest fort in Scotland. <laughs> so they were not able to besiege. Go big or go home. Yeah. And I mean, Sterling Castle, it is on, it's on a cliff, basically. Like, right. And it's hundreds of feet up in the air. Like, it's not like on the ground. It's like way up there. <laughs> They did not build these castles to just be pretty. No. They were going for efficiency, and it's a stronghold. Yes. Duh. It's this. Yeah. Yeah, It didn't work. So they ended up fleeing from Sterling. So as this is going on, Cumberland makes his way to Edinburgh. So he's, he's narrowing in on the Jacobites. And so the Jacobites retreat to Inverness, uh, which is another town. Um, They're all kind of closer together cumberland's closing in uh he lands in aberdeen and the jacobites are in inverness mm-hmm. but this was in january so it's really bad winter so they both sides decide to wait out the storm um and the weather right eventually jacobite leadership agreed that they would have to engage in battle because their supplies were dwindling right also one thing that had been on the jacobite side through all these different battles was that their method of fighting was through the Highlander charge that it was right. a bunch of big beefy men in kilts running at you screaming with broadswords. The first method was to intimidate. I would be terrified. It was terrifying. Yeah. Like literally troops would like run and flee when they saw it. But Cumberland's men had been trained on Highlander warfare. So they knew what to expect and they knew how to combat it. And they were ready for the Jacobites. So now we get to the Battle of Culloden on April 16th, 1746. The Jacobites had attempted a surprise attack on Cumberland's men during the night, but it didn't work. I was trying to find details about what happened. It just failed. And a lot of men yeah. just like vanished. <laughs> like it said like some men had like gone wandering for food, but not all the men returned back to the battlefield by morning. So now you have about 5,000 men who are exhausted from being out all night, which is like right. not your full strength. And then they were going up against between 7,000 and 9,000 well-rested British soldiers. Oh, jeez. On top of this, the Jacobites had chosen a very poor land. So where they were at, there was at the Culloden Moor, which was outside Aberdeen um, or Inverness. Mm-hmm. But it's very, the ground is very soft and it was very marshy there because it's a moor. It's like a swamp almost. The battle lasted, the entire battle lasted less than an hour. Between 1,000 and 1,500 Jacobites were killed. Culloden lost about 50 men. 50 men were killed. I think it was like 130 were injured, but only 50 men were killed in his army. About 1,500 Jacobites were killed. So even the Battle of Athens lasted like 10 hours or some yeah, shit. Yeah, this was less than an hour. Did not oh go well God. for the Jacobites. So Charles managed to escape. Um, one source I read said that he fled the battlefield in tears. But that was I only saw it in one source. so I don't know if that's true, but he probably boy. did. And he eventually made it back to France. He just peaced out. The aftermath. Uh, 3,500 Jacobites were eventually taken prisoner those that were not executed or died awaiting trial were sent to the colonies. And I think that's this was in the, the Americas. So they were still the colonies at this point. They just sent away. 
You're just like, bye. You're no longer allowed here. Yeah. Charles' brother, Henry, he became an ordained Catholic priest and just really pissed off Charles. He was like, you're giving up on our cause. And he kept trying to gain support for a new Jacobite rebellion, but no one just, no one humored him. And the, the wind has been knocked out of their sails. Yeah. Along with all the sails that are now at the bottom of the ocean yes. because Mother Nature is like, please stop. Yes. Yeah. He eventually died in 1788. The source I saw said that he was embittered um, and alone. And he also, like, turned to alcoholism. So it just, it didn't end well for Charles. Yeah. Um, so after the rebellions, um, the British government really knocked down on the Highland culture. They were dedicated to destroying the Highlander way of life. They outlawed the wear right. of tartans kilt um you couldn't speak scottish gaelic anymore they were trying to eliminate their culture which is really sad thing things do turn around later but at this time it's just they're like nope no more highlanders however the success of the hanoverian government against like the french it allowed england Mm -hmm. to continue to expand which depending on who you are and what country you live in is a good thing or a bad thing but after this the united kingdom and great britain really expanded and really prospered um, under the Hanovers. So the documentary I watched said that if the Jacobite Rebellion had succeeded, the UK likely would not have prospered the way it did. It would have lost on a lot of opportunities that helped the help Great Britain right. grow. And Scotland would have been subjected to the fascist ideologies of France at the time under King Louis the fifteenth, um, fourteenth right. or fifteenth, depending on which time. But it just would not have gone well in history. Um, also, it mentioned that the Stuarts had, like, in- helped industrialize the slave trade. Um, oh. So, yeah, it's not yeah. super great. And the Jacobites are, like, really just in the name of tradition. Right. And an archaic family just because it was their history. And not really thinking about the good that could happen with change. Yeah. And eventually, like, you know, there were still Jacobites around, but any kind of major movements were quashed because of the economic success that Great Britain was experiencing. And actually, the Battle of Culloden was the last battle to be fought on British soil. Ah, wow. Yeah. And then eventually, one source I saw said that Highland Scottish culture was able to kind of come back. So during the Victorian era... It was really embraced, and it was actually the invention of the Highland Games that came about this time. Tartans came back um, and were were celebrated. So, um, I can't imagine how much was lost. The Scottish culture was allowed to come back, um, which was good. And that's the Jacobite rebellions. Sixty years of lots of nonsense going on. That ended with a guy just throwing hissy fits, basically. Yeah. So. And, you know, this is a good, like, example of just because something is changing and different doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the death of an industry, if we're just putting it into different terms, is like, well, that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Things have to change to move forward. Yeah. So, as much as I love all things Scotland, I am also a quarter Scottish, turns mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah, that, that probably wasn't the best way to go about things. Well, and 
like this wasn't the majority of Scotland that were Jacobites. Right. Like it was right. mostly exactly. just the Highlanders yes. that really clung to the traditions. But a lot of Scotland, like Edinburgh and a lot of the major cities in Scotland were supportive of you know the changes in the monarchy or they went along with it at least yeah they were like this is fine this is fine yeah so in the jacobite rebellion just kept they tried four different times and they just never were able to succeed but there's stuff about them all over scotland like every almost every place i went like mentioned them in some way or there was some kind of historical marker i saw um in one of my sources at the the site of the battle of culloden there's a cairn there and it's like a like a stone memorial that memorializes the battle there. But yeah, I did a ton of research on this. Um, This was, like I said, a very dense subject to go through because there's so much that happened. So many people, so much political bullshit that happened. It was very hard (laughs) to keep straight. I literally had to like draw diagrams for myself. To <laughs> well, I am very thankful you drew diagrams for me because that saved me. Yeah, I really needed it a bunch. I, I needed it for sure myself. Like I had a when I was going through and like it was talking about everyone who's related and stuff. I got a post-it note and I drew a family tree on this post-it note and I kept referring back to it oh. as I was taking my notes. I was like, okay, so. James II is Charles the first son. William is like <laughs> my sources. Um, I bought this book when I was in Scotland. It's called Bonanzas and Jacobites: The Story of the Silver Glen. It's mostly about a silver mine that just happened to be big while the rebellion was going on, and like the owner of the mine was involved in the rebellion. I only read a little bit of it to get information about the Jacobites. Um, But apparently I learned in this book, a bonanza is actually when like a certain metal is discovered. It's it's the Spanish word. And then I watched a couple documentaries on YouTube. There's one that I saw. It's in Glorious Revolutions Explaining the Jacobite Caused by the Monroes, a personal voyage on YouTube. Um, Definitely like I can tell this guy works so hard on this video. It's a long one. When I watched it, there was like... I don't know, like 18,000 views maybe. Um, but it was really well done, okay. very informative. And he has a, a little Scottish accent. So I highly recommend giving it a watch. And he that. goes into a lot more detail than I did. Britannica Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, um, ScottishHistory.org. I got a lot of information about the battles. ThoughtCo.com. That kind of gave me a timeline. So I would use that as a reference and then like do research and make sure I didn't miss anything right warfarehistorynetwork.com and then nam.ac.uk i got some information about the battle of culloden from there um those are my sources and that is the story of the jacobites thank you very condensed thank you for (laughs) this very condensed story i had heard of the jacobites before oh okay in what setting? I literally, I just remember the name. I had no idea. I don't remember who it was or why or what or how I even know that. But I've heard it before. So I am glad I know now. I'm very glad I know now. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad that I was able to take something that I, I did. I did yeah. the heavy lifting for everyone (laughs) got to learn about after 
After last week's episode, maybe we needed something a little more serious because, good Lord. <laughs> we needed it. I can't believe I got through this in one episode. I was for sure. It's like, it's going to be so many episodes. It's going to be two because there's so much information. And then when I was actually reading yeah. it, I was like, oh, okay. I'm getting through this a little faster than You I did thought. a really good job. You did a really good job of like condensing it down to only the very necessary parts. So I feel like maybe you just did so much research that it felt like it was going to take forever. Y'all, I was swimming through this. I've been researching this for like yeah. three weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it took so long. <laughs> and I finished it like right before we started recording. We were both uh, last minute heroics ing these. <laughs> oh, show. Um, all right. So... Follow us uh, on Instagram at Ill-Equipped History. We have a Facebook group, um, Ill-Equipped History Podcast Group. Yeah. That's right, right? Okay. Yeah, that's I rem- right. <laughs> I remembered. Um, we have an email. Send us a Gmail at illequippedhistory at gmail.com. No spaces, no dashes. Please rate us on your yeah. streaming service of choice um share us with your friends and your family yeah uh like us if that's possible uh on your your streaming apps um follow or whatever it is i don't know like they're all so different um they are (laughs) we hope you keep listening and you know don't wing ships (laughs) don't wing ships uh don't don't wrestle alligators or punch lions. Um, and, um, you know, if you have tried to do a rebellion three times and it just didn't work, you know, it's, it's time to cut your losses, champ. Yeah. And don't, <laughs> if you lost the majority of your fleet because of weather, the universe is telling you something. It's, it's, it's not meant to be my guy. I'm so sorry so sorry good good i mean but good for you for trying but like yeah it ha- we applaud you for happens, your efforts if it happens more than once yeah oh that, my God. there's your sign <laughs> and you know they weren't winging those ships no those were well-built ships those were very well well-built ships i can't talk yeah <laughs> well you did just do a whole episode on um the Jacobites, where everybody had the same name. So, oh lord, I hope I hope you guys were able to keep track of all of that because it was James, 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 Charles, 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 James, Charles, Mary, 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 Mary. Sophia, <laughs> one Sophia, and one George, <laughs> one George, and then his son, the butcher. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, Butcher Cumberland. I'm scared of him. <laughs> you should be. Like, he actually, um, I think I saw something. He earned the nickname Butcher. Um, there's not really a better way to say this by cleaning up after the rebellion. That's how he earned that nickname. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it was not good. And actually, like, he faced a lot of backlash from it. And he was kind of exiled. Because everyone's like, you are too violent. Like, this is a very violent time for all of us to be living in. And no one lives past the age of 45. But it was this was too much. It was a little much. It was a little much. So, anyway. Yeah. 
Don't yeah, don't be okay. like the butcher of Cumberland. <laughs> Become pirate. Not unless you want to end up on one of those like Dateline shows or whatever. Yikes! No, don't do that. Don't, don't end do up that. on Dateline. Don't end up on Dateline. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> <laughs> be safe out there, guys. <laughs> yes. Enjoy some beer and nachos. <laughs> if you can't drink beer, order the nachos. <laughs> Right. Uh, okay, bye. bye.